Fisher lofting one, end zone incomplete. Juju Smith-Schuster couldn't catch up. There's a flag at the 10. Hang on, there's a penalty. Fire to the pass, holding, number 24, defense. The footy? Yeah. That's terrible. Uh, but, again, the Kansas City Chiefs have to play on it too. You know, so, and to be fair, they, they kind of said it was terrible too, like, in the TV timeout. So I was glad we are on the same page. But they're terrible. Like, man, I'm not a grass ex- expert. Um, no, I just... <clears throat> it's just slick. Uh, you couldn't anchor... Um, so you know, you have to get your whole foot in the ground. If you had, your, if you try and use your toe, just your toe, you'd slip right away. I mean, you saw the receivers. It's like a water park out there, um, and playing on grass. Yeah. First, you heard the highlight of the uh, holding call that everybody's talking about. Kevin Burkhart on uh, Fox with the call there. And then the other situation that people are discussing today mm-hmm. that. It's kind of a negative on this Super Bowl in Arizona, and that was the slippery grass. That was Jordan Mailata, offensive lineman for the Philadelphia Eagles, talking about it being like a water park, slipping, couldn't get any footing. We saw people slipping all night, including on the last play, the Hail Mary attempt by Jalen Hurts. Uh, you had a kicker fall down again. Um, it, it was certainly an issue, but as you heard Mailata say, both teams had to play on it. I mean, that might be the worst look of, of all when you consider Arizona as a Super Bowl host for Super Bowl 57, Bic. I think everything was positive, but that's one of the one of the big negatives, and people are going to talk about that for a long time. Yeah, well, I, I think because now I think you have to look at this and, and, and wonder, what is this all about? Why does this happen here? Now, this happened when it comes to the turf and slipping, all right? If you want to hone in on that issue, Vinny. Yeah. All right, if, if you're looking at that, you have to ask yourself, all right, what, what is going on here? Th- that field they used last night, the NFL has been manicuring that and growing that for two years. Yes. $800,000 they put in, in that field. In Scottsdale. In Scottsdale. Okay. So, and, and, and to hear guys like Hassan Reddick saying it was the worst field I've ever played on in my life. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie, it was the worst field I ever played on. Without making excuses to get to this level in this game and have it be the worst field you ever played on, I mean, it's got to be frustrating beyond. It was, it, was, it was very disappointing, you know. It's the NFL. You, you would think it would be better so, you know, we can we can get some better play. Um, but it is what it is, man. You know, it is what it is. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Maybe the league will look at it and tell Arizona they got to step their stuff up. I don't know. what it's, I don't know. It's not my decision to make. It's not my call to make. Whatever it is, it's what it is. And that's a guy who played a well, ton of home games in that stadium and never complained about the turf. Well, the question becomes, is this a league issue or is this a Cardinals issue? This seems to be to be a league issue. The game day ops of the Super Bowl, that's the league, right? Yes, but okay. it also bleeds into whether or not, and look, we're, what, 16 years, 17 years into the stadium, mm-hmm. you know, growing grass outside on a tray and wheeling it in. Is it time for a revisitation of whether or not that's right. the ideal way to do it? Well, and again, so that night is so you look at the recent history of this. We they just played a Fiesta Bowl college football playoff semifinal where Michigan and TCU players were slip sliding all over the place. Same thing as last night. So this is two gigantic football games in a row. That's not acceptable. And so you have to ask yourself, what does this mean to the viability of that stadium for big events in the future? Now, I, I don't I'm not suggesting it's going to shut the doors 
on State Farm Stadium, but this is uh, this is two gigantic events in a row. Well, that have been influenced and where this has been a talking point. Yeah, Eddie. I don't expect there to be a change based on last night. But hey, the next time Arizona puts a bid in for a Super Bowl. You don't think that's going to be considered? Oh, absolutely. Let's also remember they're now also competing with Las Vegas, who's going to be hosting this. And Los Angeles. Angeles, Yes. Yeah, and 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 there's going to be new stadiums that are going to need Super Bowls, like Tennessee, and and there's others, and so it, it's going to be a while before we are even a candidate. And I just wonder about the the optics and what is being said about the quality of this turf. I remember after the first week of the season. When Harrison, Harrison Butker uh, did a face plan on the opening kickoff and Andy Reid kind of complained about the turf, uh, the reaction was, oh, come on. It, this is the best field in the NFL. It's voted the best all the time. Dallas Goddard after, Goddard after the game last night said, you know, there, there might be something to growing grass in a tray that just doesn't work. Yeah, there might be. Um, the other uh, issue that people are talking about, and you heard the play-by-play call from, from Fox, and that was the holding call on uh, James Bradbury late in the game that allowed the Chiefs... That was a third-down play. That was a mm-hmm. huge play because, uh, you know, if, if not for the holding call, you know, Kansas City probably kicks the field goal, goes up three, but plenty of time for Jalen Hurts and the Eagles to operate. They had to burn their timeout. You saw the, the manipulation of the clock masterfully by the Chiefs at the end of that game to lead to the last-second field goal by Butker. But a lot of people didn't like that call on the replay, but the guilty party himself, James Bradbury, said... I mean, that's not up for my judgment. You know, I, I was hoping he would let it go, but of course, you know, he's a ref. It's a big game, um, and it was, it was a hold, so they called it. All right, it was a hold by letter of the law. It was a hold. I heard, uh, you know, this morning, Keyshawn, Jay, Will, and Max talking about it. And Keyshawn Johnson said, yes, it was a hold, but how much did it actually impact the play? Probably not much. The disappointing part. Yes. That's, that's, that's a, that's a, I don't know. That's just bad. That's just bad. That's a bad time to throw that flag. It is. And I had actually commented during the game. I was like, wow, flags have not really been a big part of this game. And maybe Mm -hmm. I put it out in the universe and I'm the guilty party. But it is you. The unfortunate unfortunate part, Rick, is that's two playoff games, two memorable playoff games where there were fouls committed that were penalties. That people had a problem with. The mm-hmm. first one was the Osai roughing, roughing or unnecessary roughness call on Mahomes in, in the Bengals Chiefs game. It had to be called. It was an obvious penalty, but people mm-hmm. didn't want it thrown in that instance. And, you know, was it a penalty? Yes. My biggest problem with with it was how late it was. Well, because that that was right off the line of scrimmage that Bradbury held uh, Juju. And the ball sails over his head, and by the time it hits the ground, that's when the flag is coming out. Right. Yeah, so on defensive holding, it doesn't matter if the ball is uncatchable or not. No. Uh, but, but to me, uh, timing of it matters. Uh, and this is, this is the issue that some people have when the hashtag NFL is rigged happened. Yes. It wasn't just so much the Joseph Asai late hit on Patrick Mahomes. What it was was the giving them a mulligan on a play and then after that play calling defensive holding. People, uh, smart people say if, if, if officials truly wanted to rig a game, that's the best place to do it. Defensive holding penalties that negate big third and long situations and give a team new lease on life. That's it. It felt, it felt, it felt that way 
um, in that Bengals Chiefs game. And to their credit, the Bengals didn't make a big deal about it. That call at that point in time felt way too much of an interjection into the game. Yeah, yeah there was a little physicality, but nothing more. I mean, a, physicality happens. Yeah. If you think a defensive back never touches a wide receiver, you're wrong. Exactly. Uh, Nick Sirianni, the Eagles coach, says that was not the only reason we lost. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not, it's not my job to, uh, you know, I mean, you, you'll see me on the sideline. I'm going to argue with different things of, of, of calls here and there, but it's not my job to make the call. You know, those guys got to do that in, in split second, um, you know, scenarios. Um, and so, you know, that's what he saw and he, and he called it. And so that's never, it, I, I know it always appears to be that, you know, it's one call that makes the, it's not, it's not what it is, right? It, it's not what it is. There's, there's, there's so many plays that contribute to the, the end result of the game. And, and, and today they were better than we were. We're up against it. And I agree with Nick Sirianni. It's never one call. Those things get magnified in end game situations. But I thought, Second half and even the f- the last possession of the first half, mm-hmm. the Eagles got real conservative, Field la- goals. lack yep. of lack of urgency offensively. Yep. They're just as much to blame uh, that the oh, offensive no play doubt. calling. No doubt. I again, I just I think as you said, you, you hate though. I mean, that's the game winning drive. Yes, but <laughs> is it a penalty in the first quarter? If it is, I don't know. I mean, that's a real ticky tactic. It's such a slippery slope. And and after Roger Goodell in his press conference last week said, yeah, it's not perfect, but the NFL officiating is as good as it's ever been. Oh, yeah. Can you believe he actually said that? I can. (laughs) Do I believe it? Absolutely not. (laughs) <laughs> but those are two plays that people are going to talk about forever when this when this Super Bowl comes up. Right. And that, that's unfortunate. Coming up next, if you're a Cardinals fan and you watched the Super Bowl last night, it was impossible not to play the comparison game. We'll explain next. It's Bickley and Murata mornings on this post-Super Bowl Monday here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata mornings. Monday edition of Bickley and Murata mornings. Dan Bickley, Vince Murata, Jared Carlin, Sarah Cazell with you until 10 o'clock. Lots of Super Bowl reaction. Cardinals coaching search, search still ongoing. We are yet to see the debut of uh, Kevin Durant. But um, it's funny, and I know I wasn't alone, and you probably did it, and a lot of Cardinals fans did it last night watching the Super Bowl, especially when the Eagles had the ball mm-hmm. last night. And that was to, you, you couldn't avoid the comparisons of Jalen Hurts, to Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray is very much under the microscope for a number of different reasons. Uh, after yeah. his performance pre-injury in 2022, mm-hmm. and you said it earlier in the show, it's un- it, there's no doubt about it. In terms of the elite quarterbacks of the league, thrust Jalen Hurts into that group. And Kyler Murray is about a mile behind right now. Yeah, that's right. So I, I think that if you were Kyler Murray um, and you were paying attention and you were engaged to Super Bowl week, um, because I did not see him run. Did you see him anywhere? Was he at the... I mean, I know he's rehabbing. It's you're not going to want to be around total crowds. Was he I, at a party Saturday night in Scottsdale? He? Yeah, I saw a clip, him and Devin Booker were together. Yeah, I thought okay. so. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, so that's good. I'm I'm glad. I'm glad he was here and engaged in all this because I do think that if if you're paying attention and and if you were prone to keep receipts, and I don't know if he's that guy. I wish he kind of was more of that guy. Um, he'd have a lot of fuel going into this off season. So now, if you kind of want to distill it to last night. Game. 
I think that um, Kyler Murray can look at Patrick Mahomes, and and again, I, I don't think you can take a guy who is not tough mentally when it comes to playing through pain and suddenly make him so. Yeah. But I think you could look at Patrick Mahomes and realize how you influence people and how you push other people when you're when you're that committed to what you're doing. So I think there's that. I think from Jalen Hurts, everything about Jalen Hurts that you see on a football field, the kid has come so far and everybody who's around him say he is just so on everything in terms of every little detail about being a professional quarterback. He is on top of it and working at it at all times. So I, I think there was a lot of stuff that Kyler Murray could have taken away from last night's game and applied to his own game himself. Now, Willie, we're going to find out. I, I really hope, I really hope as Wolf does, that this that the combination of where he's at after four years, the 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 sudden introspection of having to kind of come back from a serious injury. I hope it kind of sharpens his focus a little bit. I hope so, too. Um, you wonder if it's possible. Um, a lot of the things that Jalen Hurts did last night, I think Kyler Murray can do. Now, is Kyler Murray ever going to be a bulldozer on third and one situations? No, uh, that's not going to happen. Talk about a demoralizing play for a defense when you mm-hmm. force a third down and one, and you're literally defenseless. When, yep. when Philadelphia gets into that big, heavy couple of pushers behind uh, Jalen Hurts, uh, and, and he is ridiculously strong. Uh, but you, you can't stop that. That's never going to be something that the, the Cardinals do. A lot of the, th- I mean, what blew me away for the first three quarters, especially of that game, was in terms of passing accuracy and putting the ball into tight windows, Hurts was doing it better than Mahomes. Mm-hmm. And he, I mean, it was impossible not to come away completely impressed with what Jalen Hurts not not just well, last night but for the full year to, and, and he was not the only okay. quarterback who was not 100% going into this game let's let's compare what we have seen frequently in Arizona on third and one recently compared to what we see from the Philadelphia Eagles in yes. short yardage situation. What the Eagles do with their quarterback sneak is is one of the big talking points of, of last night's game yes. and of this football season yes. with Jalen Hurts, who, who, you know, a power lifter. Mm-hmm. That play is practically unstoppable. In fact, I don't think I've ever seen it stopped. I don't think so either. And, and To the point where you're starting to ask the question, do they need to change that rule? It's a good question. Can you have aid from the from behind the quarterback on a right. play like that? On a play like that. And I, why did it right. take NFL teams so damn long to figure that that's a good idea? Well, because <laughs> because I think a you you have to have a quarterback who's willing to do it, yes. a quarterback with enough lower body strength to kind of hold his own in that kind of in that kind of chaos. And we know Kyler Murray's not comfortable in that kind of chaos. So I'm not saying Kyler Murray line up in that formation and start picking up first downs the way Jalen Hurts does, but I do think that there has to be there has to be a recognition here that that this is a this is a big boys game and this is it's time for 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 Kyler Murray to get up and over that. I, I think if you ran a poll question and we might at some point in time um on on Cardinal fans who think Kyler Murray is going to get there and make it or bust out completely and be out of the league within four years, I bet you'd be a real close vote. Hear that, Jared? Poll question. Huh? Right. Um, I'll put it up. So Do it. Yeah. While, while you're crafting those deeply introspective questions like, <laughs> what were your general takeaways from Super Bowl 57? <laughs> Let me help you out a little bit here. <laughs> I'm 
letting the audience give their opinion. That's uh, on social media. I know you guys have four hours to do that. I know it's a it it that is a very poignant question mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. I don't. I honestly don't know. But what I do know is I think it's absolutely ridiculous that the Arizona Cardinals are in a situation where they've already invested nearly a quarter of a billion dollars to a player that they have to ask these questions about. I I, mm-hmm. I, I might sound like a broken record, revisionist, whatever. We said it in real time. To start off last offseason with contract extensions for a coach and general manager that mm-hmm. made a contract extension for your quarterback, almost inevitable at that mm-hmm. point, it is mind-boggling. And I don't, I don't know what's worse. I mean, did the Cardinals... It's not an overstatement, what you're saying. It's not an overstatement because up until then, Michael Bidwill had a very clean track record. Yes. Until that very decision. Yes. I, I mean, some people Listen. say that the Cardinals acted quickly, half because of Eric Burkhart's insistence that they they jump the gun and uh, you know maybe uh, the way pr- he was embarrassing him, the way he was putting him on blast, but also. Is there an element of the Cardinals fearing the fact that hey we we went way out of the box here we hired the, you know we, we we drafted this quarterback number one overall we don't want this to be a bust situation but what's worse a guy a guy finding his way through five years with the team that drafted him and hey it didn't work out or being tied to a guy that you have questions about five years from now will Kyler Murray have a Super Bowl ring or will he be playing baseball will he be out of the NFL entirely? I'll bet you I'll bet you that is going to run right almost down the middle. And and again, I, I think there are people, our buddy Zach Lynn, drummer of Jimmy Eat World, went on social media yesterday, said cut bait with him right now. Wow, that was I saw that. Right now. Trade him right there's a and, and there is a window to lessen his salary cap uh hit if you did. In the very present, but I is there a trade market for Kyler Murray? And, uh, and honestly, you as the new GM, are you going to roll in here? Is that going to be your first order of business? I don't know. A new owner rolled into town last week and traded well, for Kevin Durant. You could do a bit. Can Kevin Durant play quarterback? The question on the flip side of that is, he could see down the middle of the field, I think. He could uh, see to the point. next field over. <laughs> good point. The question on all of that, though, oh, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> oh, no, I don't know what I was going to say. Is there a general manager among the 31 others? Who would sign up to make that trade I right now? I don't think so. Nope. That's uh, that's. I think that's kind of the the issue, the fly in the proverbial ointment. Uh, uh, text your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at six twenty six twenty right now. Coming up next, Sarah Cazell takes us through the big stories of the day with the Rush Hour reboot. Pickley and Murata mornings on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Rush Hour Reboot. Rush Hour Reboot. Setting you up to speed on everything happening in sports this morning. Brought to you by Brooklyn Betting. Arizona built for America's dreams. Good morning, everyone. Welcome on into the Rush Hour Reboot here on Bickley and Murata Mornings on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. I'm Sarah Cazell, taking you through the top stories of the day with Dan Bickley. Hey. With Vince Murata. Am I nuts? Something's wrong with his feet. (laughs) And Jarrett Carlin. Big guy. Let me get the big guy in here. Come on, waddle over here. 
Oh, wow. waddle over here. Oh, Terry Bradshaw. Yeah, Man. that's a no for me, dog. Uh, welcome into the Rush Hour reboot. Wow, we're all together for the first time in a little over a week. We had Jarrett Carlin holding down the fort or something like that last week. <laughs> so yeah. it's good to see everybody back in the uh, in the studio again. Uh, football season's over, guys. How do we feel about that? I feel like the Monday after the Super Bowl is always an emotionally draining day. Yeah, I mean, I get that. And yes, you do feel it from a competition standpoint. But what the NFL has done so masterfully over the past 20 years is just this branching out and claiming different parts of the calendar. There's not really an offseason. There's just a period of time where there's no games. I I think locally this football season probably took about five years off all of our lives. (laughs) I'm I'm ready for a little hiatus, to be honest with you. I generally, this is a day where I generally, um, I'm a little wistful that there's no football for quite some time. Yeah. I don't really feel that way today. Then yeah. again, I'm also smoked from the last <laughs> week of work. Truly. I mean, yeah. smoked. Also, technically, I keep forgetting, what is it, the USFL debuts pretty soon here. I can't the keep XFL? track of all the The years. XFL oh. is coming back, too. Yeah. So, so I guess that starts first. Football. The XFL starts, and that season wraps up, and then the USFL kicks off. Is that right? Yeah. Football dominates our lives. I just can't keep track of all the spring leagues anymore. Yeah. They only stick around for a year or two anyway. All right. I have a lot of USFL and XFL content here on this show. Yeah. <laughs> beat reporter Vince Murata. I can't no, wait. I'm good. All right. The Chiefs beat the Eagles last night at State Farm Stadium 38-35. That is Kansas City's second Super Bowl ring in four seasons. The Chiefs scored 17 points in the fourth quarter, 24 points in the second half versus 11 second half points for the Eagles. Now, the moments that everyone is talking about this morning, including us on this show about 30 or 45 minutes ago, a third down holding call on Philly's James Bradbury. Here's that moment. Mahomes, pressure, lofting one, end zone incomplete. Juju Smith-Susher couldn't catch up. There's a flag at the 10. Hang on, there's a penalty. Prior to the pass, holding, number 24, defense. Man, that was controversial. Yeah. Uh, after the game, though, Bradbury said the call was correct. I mean, that's not up for my judgment. You know, I, I was hoping he would let it go, but of course, you know, he's a ref. It's a big game, um, and it was it was a hold, so they called it. Okay, what did you guys think about that call? And very specifically, I the situation it. in which it was called. Yeah, I hated it. And I'm not one of those guys that thinks that you should necessarily swallow your whistle in big moments like that. But a defensive holding on third and eight, that quickly off the line of scrimmage. I mean, yeah, there was a little bit of contact, but nothing uh, really uh, egregious to me. There was no impeding. Yeah. So to me, I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was a little... I thought it was a little sketch. It's justified by by Bradbury saying, hey, it was a hold. But it's also one of those plays that if the flag is not thrown... I don't think anybody on Kansas City's sideline is causing a stink about right. it. Right. No one's you know? calling for it. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. Mike, no. Mike Sando had a good description, but he said it was like going 65 in a 60. Oh, no. Like, yeah. Technically, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're speeding, speeding but, but you're, you know, you're only getting pulled over if somebody's in a real bad mood that day. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. Or, or it's the end of the month. And we're right. quotas and to there, Yeah, and there's exactly. budgets in exactly. quotas. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. Right. Are you, are you guys uh, believers in, I guess, 
situational refereeing. Oh, oh, if it's the last couple minutes of the game, we're not going to make this call. Or I'm not. Guys, where do you guys stand on that? I'm not. I think, you know, fouls are fouls, whether they're in the first quarter or fourth quarter in basketball, penalties are penalties. But that one was rough. And, you know, again, on the heels of the Cincinnati-Kansas City playoff game where everybody was talking about a call that was an obvious penalty mm-hmm. that was that was still called. And, oh, you got to hold your flag there. You can't do that. I, I don't know. I mean, rules are rules. Yeah. Uh, I, listen, I, I I don't think there's any black and white to this issue. I think I think every circumstance is different. I think obviously the standard is consistency. I would love in big games for refs to call as little as possible and and allow as much contact as possible. It's kind of what they allegedly do during the NBA playoffs. <laughs> allegedly, <laughs> I, I just yeah, I'm I I'm really not a big fan of referees. Um, Kind of stepping in and playing that pivotal of a role, and this is this is two big games in a row for Kansas City, in which, from an appearance standpoint, it looks like they got the better of the referee. Yeah, true. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about Patrick Mahomes. Three Super Bowl appearances, two rings for him. He is 27 years old. Last night he threw for 182 yards, three touchdowns, no picks, no sacks, and all on a very hurt high ankle sprain. Uh, Here is Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes' coach, on the topic of becoming one of the all-time greats in the NFL. He grew grew up in a locker room. He's seen the greats. And he strives to be the greatest. I mean, without saying anything, that's the way he works. I mean, he wants to be the greatest player ever. That's, That's what he wants to do. And that's the way he goes about his business. And he does it humbly. You know, I mean, there's no bragging. Uh, he could stand up here and give you the, the, these stats that are incredible that he's had, but he never—he's never, never going to do that. That's just not him. And so uh, we appreciate—we appreciate that. And then when it's time for the guys around to raise their game, he helps them with that. Okay, so you have to ask the legacy question, of course, on ESPN Radio this morning. Max Kellerman said Patrick Mahomes already is only behind Tom Brady and Joe Montana in the history of NFL quarterbacks. Where would you guys slot Mahomes at this point? I don't feel uncomfortable slotting him in that same place. Really? Yeah, I mean, project this 10 years into the future. His... His six-year resume is amazing, and that's with one year sitting. That's a thought that I had last night. What would we be talking about? I mean, the Chiefs had a 10-win team his rookie season. He sat behind Alex Smith, who statistically was brilliant that year, but could Mahomes have been the difference for that team to maybe make another Super Bowl? Yeah, I would say that uh, to, to me the list is Brady, Elway, Montana, and Mahomes right there, I guess. Okay. Probably be about right. I think John Elway tends to always kind of not get the credit he deserves in these conversations. Yeah, he does get left out. Well, he just he he carried the Broncos single handedly for so so many years, <laughs> and that seems to get lost. Joe Montana had a lot of help. Tom Brady had a lot of help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, the Cardinals reportedly are interviewing Jonathan Gannon today, the Eagles' defensive coordinator for their head coach opening. So that now makes it three candidates that we are aware of for the Cardinals. Gannon, Giants OC Mike Kafka, and Bengals DC Lou Anarumo. Uh, Michael Bidwill on Friday, I believe it was, uh, told one of the Arizona Cardinals podcasts, Fans, we know you're frustrated. We know you're staying patient. Please just stick with us. We're almost there. About Gannon, how excited were you about him as a potential candidate before the Super Bowl was played last night? 
And did the Super Bowl change your perception at all? I was uh, I was intrigued by how the Cardinals seemed to be suddenly pivoting away from everybody who was on their initial list. And we're opening up an interview with a guy, as Vinny pointed out, they could have talked to two weeks ago. Right. Um, and then, yeah, last night's game, the second half, the adjustments that the Chiefs made and the lack of adjustments that Jonathan Gannon made in those two uh, wide-open red zone touchdown passes that came from the same play, only one on each side of the field, that's a little, that's a little less than impressive. So, you know, I, this is probably isn't the best day to be interviewing Jonathan Gannon, to be quite honest with you. No, and I do, like, I think it's valuable to gauge the reaction of, of anything, you know, in a different sports city, what the fans say about a certain... There, there's a big faction of the Eagles fan base that has been all over Jonathan Gannon all year long, and it's probably pretty bad today. Just, just search his name on Twitter if you oh, want to see yeah. it. Yeah, it's goodness. like, oh man, I hope the Cardinals hire Jonathan Gannon, get him the hell out of town. Uh, I don't think they're saying the same thing about Shane Steichen. So, um, it, 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 it appears to me that this was a whole lot of stalling to get this guy into this job. You know, is the timing the best? No, but... Again, like I said earlier, I yeah. think the Cardinals fan base is so fatigued by this oh. this coaching search, which yeah. is being thorough. <laughs> it's just being slow. Right. That's a good point. Yeah, that's There's right. There's nobody left. It's just you. And but as Big said, got, but nobody's going to take away our candidate. These three finalists again were not on the initial candidate list for the Arizona Cardinals, right. as far as we know. Correct. As far as we know, we have to add that caveat. Well, listen, it, and again, I, I don't, I don't want to draw the comparisons to the Robert Sarver dynamics. I think we're talking about two different things here. But, but by nature, when there are no other jobs left, and you're, you've got the only one, then you've got a lot of leverage, and you've got a lot of leverage to hire somebody who's going to be very indebted to you for yes, that opportunity. That is true. It's not the best parameters in which to hire a head coach. Nope. Well said. Thank you, Sarah. Thank we're all rebooted. Rush hour reboot every morning at uh, seven thirty. Coming up next, Suns finally home from a very impressive road trip. So we're a little closer to seeing their newest superstar, Kevin Durant. But we're not there yet. We'll get into all of it next. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata Mornings. I just think like anyone would if, if you're wanting, if you're pursuing one of the, the greatest players of all time um, you're going to want a really good player in return at a minimum and um, there just was no package or, or no configuration that um, was going to be suitable for them that didn't include Mikel and so that's that's the tough part about it. Um, it it signals two things that you know Mikel's a really good player which is why uh, we were reluctant to have him in those conversations um, and then two that it takes a really good player to get a great player and you know that's the cost of of, of trying to compete for titles james jones president of basketball operations of the phoenix suns on with burns and gambo friday talking about uh, the kd trade that went down in the middle of last week the bombshell that uh, blew up in in arizona sports last week and gave us a lot of talking points and it's still gonna be a little bit until we see kevin durant on the floor for the Suns, uh, saw him. Uh, you know, social media put it, they pushed it out that you know he was at the facility on on Saturday. I imagine he'll be at the game tomorrow on the bench. We'll hear Kevin Durant's initial press conference on Thursday as we inch closer toward the uh, the, the All Star break, and we'll see him post All Star break most likely. Um, the Brian Windhorst 
Ramona Shelburne story that outlined all the happenings of yeah. trade night was a fascinating mm-hmm. read. They had a lot of detail on how this came together. Uh, I suggest if you're a Suns fan and you haven't read it yet, definitely read it. It was, uh, like I said, it was a fascinating read. And, you know, this was very much a Brooklyn Nets slash Matt Ishbia production. Mm-hmm. Brooklyn uh, <laughs> had their parameters. This is what we want. And there's no wiggle room on any of this. And then they added in. The the, yeah. the caveat of, oh, by the way, we want Jay Crowder, too, because we want to spin him off in a separate trade. Right, and they were able to do that very successfully as well. Yes, and, they were. And, and when they did that, now I kind of understood what you said when you thought when you said on Friday that you wish they had kind of broke those apart. Yes, and, and I'm which like, is what the Suns wanted to do. Right, yeah. and, and that might have been more profitable for the Phoenix Suns had they been able to do that. Uh, I doubled back with my guy on the East Coast, and, and he had done some digging within the Nets organization, and the reason why, part of the reason why they did not think Kevin Durant was going to get moved is they were under the impression the Suns were never going to move Mikel Bridges, never going to move Mikel Bridges. So that's clearly the Matt Ishbia coming in. Yes. Right. And, and, and now had Matt Ishbia been here the last couple of years and fallen in love with Mikhail the way we did, maybe he would have been clouded too. But even so, there was, you know, that story points out yeah. the timeline of all of it and there was initial, they had moved on. Matt Ishbia and his brother went to dinner and started conversing about it right. and, and came to the conclusion, we got to do this. Well, yes. And and I wonder, and again, you're absolutely right about that. And for it to kind of get to the finish line as quickly as it did, listen, this is going to be, there are no guarantees this is going to work. We've had enough people kind of remind us of that. Sure. And, and I think we understand that. Um, there is no guarantee of what it's going to feel like. I mean, we're, we're suddenly going to have a, 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 not only a brand new superstar taking a majority of shots here, there's going to be role players who you have never cheered for before. And I'm talking about, you know, you, you can name them. Well, Terrence Ross when he gets and here. Terrence Ross. Darius Baisley. Darius Baisley. Cheered for TJ Warren before. TJ, that's true. Different, TJ Warren's different this time around. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. But now you're talking about three different bench members, and TJ Warren, it, it, I should separate him. But it, it, it's it's a little weird for a sports fan to suddenly go, okay, we're in the stretch run of a season, 20 games left. Who, 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 who's that guy? <laughs> It's true. It's going to be different. It's Vinny. true, especially when when what we gave up in terms of the twins. Oh, and it was so hard for people to separate. And you had another difficult thing to deal with over the weekend. We talked, you know, the first game Brooklyn played. Mikel Bridges did the interview on TNT. He wasn't eligible to play. They became eligible eligible to play on Saturday, and they did against Philadelphia. And that game was on NBA TV. Yeah. And before the game, the Nets put out, uh, you know. Know, the, the 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 pictures of their video crew filming these guys getting them ready for the intro then the introductions they were introduced back to back in the starting lineup by the Brooklyn PA announcer and you're like oh this is weird and then watching them play in different uniforms and different numbers was was really tough and Mikel Bridges had a good game mm-hmm. uh, and it was a tough loss for the Nets and he he missed a driving layup that could have given them the lead late yeah uh, so they ended up blowing a lead that a uh, game that they, well, they they led most of the way but it was just it, it was one of those visceral, visual things that you see, and you're like, oh, this just doesn't seem right right now. No. And it won't seem right until I, we see Kevin Durant in a Suns uniform playing an NBA game. Somebody, uh, actually, a lot of people gravitated to, anal- to an analogy I threw out there off the cuff that these were like a couple of 
baby sea turtles heading out to the ocean, and you're just like, oh, please make it, please make it, please make. There was that feeling of of parental concern yeah. for Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson, and you could see that Mikhail. This really hit him hard because, I, again, I think if we're operating on the premise that this whole thing with Kevin Durant happened because there was a dramatic reversal, of course, for the Suns. Don't think that dramatic reversal, of course, wasn't lost on Mikael Bridges. Yeah. Do you see what his initial – you go back and look at his initial tweet, right? Uh-oh. After the trade – yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a possibility that after the events of the summer, James Jones or somebody with the Suns told Mikael – we're not trading we're not you. Yeah. you. They they Don't wanted you, and that's right. why we didn't do it, because right. we're not traded. We were committed yeah. to you. Right. But and new owners come in with new ideas and their own people, and that's just life. James Jones talked about the trade talks over the summer uh, with Burns and Gambo on Friday. I, I really couldn't get a good gauge in the summer. Um, my, my sense was they didn't want to trade him. Um, they, they wanted to explore and, and do everything they could to try to get a really good player, one of the greatest ever, to, to remain with the franchise. And I think, you know, him remaining with them early, it, it was it was evident that um, he would have been great with them. Uh, they started out great in, in Brooklyn. And then once circumstances changed, I, I think they just felt it was, it was best to move on. And uh, they reengaged, and um, you know, you never really know whether or not anything, any, any of these things will get done. But I was more confident this time than I was in the summer that we could get it across the finish line. Yeah, and this was all stemming from Kevin Durant being convinced to go back to Brooklyn to run it back. Kyrie Irving blew the whole thing up as he does, and he asked out. He gets traded, and then before the deadline, Kevin Durant calls Joe Sy and said, "All right, we're going to keep this real quiet." I want out, and I want to go to Phoenix. Yeah, And he would have played the rest of the season in Brooklyn. And that makes you feel better that he laid that parameter out again. That's the place I want to go to. Mm -hmm. Devin Booker said over the weekend, yeah, he's excited about it. I mean, it's hard to gauge Kevin Durant excitement because he is is pretty even keeled in terms of personality. It's odd in reading that recounting of what went down and then wondering what was Chris Paul getting at immediately when he characterized his first conversation with Kevin Durant as, you know, he's got a lot going on. A lot going on, man. This is difficult for him. Yeah. I don't know. Um, so I, I do know that at one point in time, me, I think you got to this point. I know many got to this point where we said, forget about Kevin Durant. Let's just win with who we have. And, and I think after all we've been through, football, basketball-wise, I, I think a lot of people are, are kind of swayed over to, yes. all right, let's see what this is all about. Well, now you don't have a choice, basically. But no. I was having discussions over the weekend with a buddy of mine, and he's like, well, if they win a championship, is it going to feel the same? And those homegrown championships are great, and everybody was rooting for one. They got real close to one two years ago, as close to a homegrown championship as you could get. But that's not an option anymore. And they decided no. to roll the dice on something. And I guarantee you, if you feel that way now, it's going to feel dirty if the Suns win a championship with Kevin Durant. You won't feel that way in June if they actually And here's win. the other thing. There's this weird two- to three-week period yes. where we the trade is done. That's what The other players tough. are playing in Brooklyn, and yes. we don't have Kevin Durant yet. And we're going to see other players that the Suns acquired in the trade deadline before Kevin Durant makes mm-hmm. his debut. That's what makes yeah. it more difficult, too. Yeah. It's going to be wild. It's a weird situation. This is going to be wild to see how we internalize this, how this all hits. Yes. It's going to be different. Yep. Uh, Coming up next, we kick off the second half of the show with a little bit of fire. Fire. Dan Bickley's got your blast straight ahead. It's Bickley and Murata mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports. Arizona Cardinals football. Phoenix Suns basketball. Arizona Diamondbacks baseball. Arizona Coyotes hockey. 
Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Hey everybody, Dan Bickley here for the PGA Tour Superstore, and if you spent the weekend watching golf, if you went out to the WM Phoenix Open, I'm guessing you probably have the bug to get out on a golf course. Maybe you've got the bug to actually get better. PGA Tour Superstore can help you with all of that, and again, if you've never had a customized club fitting done and you love golf, I highly recommend this, and the PGA Tour Superstore, they are the premier putting and club fitting experience in the Valley. They will give you the best best instruction, the best fitting, and the best selection to improve your game. They've got all the great technology from the putt lab to the track band, all the stuff that the pros use to get better.